we built Vega Light because we needed a language to sort of reason about visualization and to quickly generate lots of visualizations. Welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at NYU in New York City, where I do research in data visualization. Yeah, and on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest or more <laughs> that we invite on the show. Yes, and uh, before we start, a quick note as usual. Our podcast, as you may know by now, is completely listener-supported, so there's no ads. And if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments, which you can do on patreon.com slash data stories. Or now you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. And uh, yeah, we really hope that you can support us. We've been trying for... A few months now, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to have a little bit more support. So if you enjoy listening to the show, um, yeah, please consider donating even just a, a few dollars. That's that's helpful. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, th thanks so much to everybody who is already chipping in. The, we have like 80 or 90 people are supporting us already, which is great. <laughs> But if uh, yeah, you as a listener can also join, that would be fantastic because we still have not met our goal yet. So yep. the way it's currently, it's not fully sustainable. We're actually um, <laughs> not you know where we need to be. So, not a break even yet. Yeah, so. not breaking even yet. So um, please give it a second thought in, in case you're not uh, supporting us already. Anyways, let's get started. Today we have uh, not one, not two, we have three special three. guests to, yeah, <laughs> to talk about two <laughs> topics that sort of go together and we needed to have everybody on. Let's and see how so, it goes. <laughs> yeah, so it's five of us total, so this will be interesting. Um, so let's bring everybody on. So the first one is Dominik Moritz. Hi, Dominik. Hey. And then we have Ham Wongsu Passawat. Hey. Hi, Ham. Hi. And uh, finally, Jacob Vanderplas. Hi, it's good to be here. Hi. Jacob, can you t uh, introduce yourself briefly? Yeah, so I'm a, um, an astronomer by training, and I'm working right now at the University of Washington eScience Institute, which is uh, um, kind of a, an institute between departments on campus. And um, the, our goal is to, uh, to, to kind of promote the data science tools and, and software engineering practice on campus. And connect people around around the university who are doing research in different areas. Cool. It sounds like a great job to have. <laughs> Quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Ham, how about you? What are you working on? Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Washington in the Interactive Data Lab, and I work with Professor Jeffrey Hare. And I'm actually in my last year, uh, so uh, hopefully to graduate, uh, can graduate soon. And I'm also a co-author of Vega Light that we're going to talk about today. And my research focus is on augmenting data visualization tools with automated chart design recommendation. So I actually use Vega Light a lot in my research. And finally, we have uh, Dominic Moritz, somebody who always uh, gives me funny uh, 
name associations because it seems to be a mixture of me and my collaborator Dominicus, which is uh, always weird. We have to come up with a good triangle scheme there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm also a PhD student at uh, the University of Washington uh, in the same lab that uh, Ham is also in. Uh, I'm actually co-advised by Jeffrey Hare and Bill Howe. And together we're working on at this intersection of databases and data visualization. So more broadly, I'm working on the um, user experience of working with big data because visualizing large data requires rethinking the back end, but also the front end. So I'm working on different challenges there. Um, and in my work, I'm using... Vega Light to uh, start to be able to reason about visualization. Right. And so the, the reason why we have you on today is we want to talk about two different developments that sort of go together very closely and are sort of maybe even two sides of the same coin. And one we mentioned already is Vega Light, and we will talk about that in a minute. And the other one is Altair, which is uh, yeah a toolkit for data visualization in Python and for um, that uses Vega Light in a, in, a, in a very effective and interesting way. But let's start, let's say, from the, the back end first. Uh, Dominic, can you tell us a bit what is Vega Light and what it's good for and why we should care? Yeah, of course. Uh, Vega Light is, as we say it, a high-level grammar for interactive graphics. Um, so it says that it provides a concise syntax for rapidly creating interactive visualizations. Um, and these visualizations, they support data exploration and analysis at the same time. The, the way we've designed this language is that it's an extension of the grammar of graphics and... So that way we have high-level declarative language, but we uh, extended this, this, this grammar of graphics and added, um, added these primitives to also support interactions. So you can actually compose interactions um, through small components that you add to a visualization. And I think we'll talk more about the, the details of how this works in this podcast. Mm -hmm. But the main idea is you just describe in a specific language, how, like structurally, how a chart would work? Yes, that's correct. Um, so we have a few principles that drive the, the design of this language that we use. Uh, the first one is that we use composition over templates, which means that instead of having a specific chart type, like a scatter plot, we actually compose a scatter plot out of um, mm -hmm. these basic building blocks of mm -hmm. the, the grammar of graphics, which are the marks, so for a scatter plot, it's it's a point, um, an encoding, which defines how data is mapped to properties of the mark. So for a scatter plot, we would uh, modify the x and the y position of the of the mark, and then there's some other things like scales and axes uh, and legends um, that also uh, work in the grammar of graphics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that's one of the the design principles. The other is uh, that we use sensible defaults. Um, so the, these descriptions of a visualization can be very concise because as a developer or designer, you can omit these details and the system automatically has some smart defaults. Then the next one is programmatic generation and sharing. Uh, Vega Lite was designed so that you can build tools uh, with it. Um, and also a, it's a, it's a data format that you can use to exchange visualizations between different tools. Uh, and the last one is that we leverage Vega, Vega which is the underlying um, execution engine and also a visualization language, but it's it's much more low level. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is great. I, I I really like the the fact that this is leveraging the grammar of graphics because this seems to be like the right 
level of abstraction, right? You can, uh, I think similarly to what happened with ggplot2, I think one thing that I like there is that it's very easy to create default default charts, but then you have as much, uh, can you say expressivity, expression, whatever? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, expressiveness. (laughs) Expressiveness, thank you. (laughs) Expressiveness. (laughs) As you you like, right? And I think that's 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 what I really love. Shall we briefly explain the grammar of graphics? Yeah, maybe we should do that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, for the grammar of graphics, the idea is that we provide a language that are like set of different words that you can combine into like a code classification for visualization. In a way, it's kind of like in English or any language, mm-hmm. you have like words like now and verbs that you can combine to sentence to describe what visualization look like, right? So grammar of graphics is similar to like this kind of language for describing graphics. So you combine Things like data, how do you transform them? How do you encode them using different graphical marks like bar or area or line? Yeah. And then how you map the data to property of these marks. So that's like the, the basics idea. Uh, so one of the things that we might want to compare to would be comparing to a, a different approach called like chart template. Like you might call things like bar chart or area chart or histogram. That's like a mm-hmm. name. But in a grammar based approach, if you want to create histogram, then you want to think that you actually want to use bar mark to encode mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. binet data field and a count. And that's basically histogram. So mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. more like building blocks that it's kind of like Lego that you, you know, <laughs> yeah. combine and build like buildings in Lego. In this case, we build visualizations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so nice that it's like really treating visual language on the language level and, and things yeah. about the combinatorial possibilities yeah. and the infinite like expressiveness we have by, yeah, as you say, combining nouns and verbs and adjectives, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So w- one thing I wanted to ask you is, can you also describe a little bit about how this works with interaction? Because that's a really, really new element there that um, you couldn't find in other as far as I can tell, in, in previous systems, they're based on, on the grammar of graphics. And it looks to me much harder, by the way. So <laughs> can, you, can you briefly describe how this works with when, when you enter the world of interaction? Yes. Um, so we extended the grammar of graphics. So we're still building on all the building blocks that exist there. But we've added this new uh, building block, which, is, which are selections, um, is what we call them. And we talked about them in our um, Vega Lite paper at uh, at Viz a couple of years ago. And the idea is that a selection captures points of interest that are um, somehow, somehow selected. And they could be selected through um, hovering or clicking on points. And then there's different selection types. So we have a single selection, which contains a single point, multi-selection, which contains multiple points, and interval selections, which contain a range. And then using these selections, um, you can drive some of the encoding. So for instance, you can say, if a point is in the selection, then color it. Otherwise, color it by, for instance, some some variable. Uh, And if the point is not in the selection, then use gray. And so that way you can have, um, you can use the selection to drive the encoding. But you can do this not just within a single specification, but also multiple uh, specifications. Yeah, in addition to the the extension to the grammar of graphics with selections, we also introduced an an algebra for composing charts into larger multi-view displays. And mm-hmm. that's really when the power of interaction comes in. Um, yeah. yeah. Another way to use selections is to 
filter data or change the scales. And so that way, with these building blocks, with these primitives, you can build interactions like cross-filtering or overview in detail, zooming and panning. We don't have a zoom and pan template, but you can build zooming and panning by composing an interval selection and then driving a scale. Yeah, that's 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 very cool. And uh, which also brings me to... So one thing that I really like about that is the fact that now, um, so you are transitioning this old system to to other environments, like such as um, the world of Jupyter notebooks and and Python in general. And this is um, this kind of environment that is typically used by data scientists, as well as many other environments like that. I, I'm thinking about R and and similar environments. One of the things that we lack the most there is is interaction capabilities. And I, I, I remember when I saw that you were moving to um, the yeah, Jupyter Notebook space, I was really excited exactly for that because finally you have a very coherent and well-designed system to not only bring easily visualization to everyone, but also, but also interaction. And um, so maybe that's also a good time to introduce Altair. And um, Jake, maybe um, since you seem you seem to be the, the main person behind the, this um, porting of of of, of Vega Light to to the Python world. So what is Altair and what is happening there? Yeah. So essentially, at basically what Altair is is a Python API to create these yeah. JSON grammars uh, specifications within this this Vegalite grammar. Yeah. Um, and it was Altair was really the brainchild of Brian Granger, who's in the um, part of the Jupyter project. Okay. And yeah. um, he and I there was a there was a data structures meetup at Berkeley a few years back. Mm. And he and I started working on Altair and I've, I've really been fortunate to have the time to run with it um, recently. Um, but the nice part about Vega light is that the grammar is uh, specified in a, in a very direct way in this, in this JSON schema format. So I can, through JSON schema, I can, I can look at any, any JSON uh, output and say whether it's a valid chart or not. And I can also use the JSON schema to kind of uh, prescriptively say what, how we can construct a valid chart. So the idea with Altair is to give a Python API that will let you construct valid JSON specifications. Um, and so that, that's a low-level thing. And then what we decided to do is once we had that low-level infrastructure in place where we could generate and validate basically Vegalite charts, we started building a Python API on top of it that was more user-oriented. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'm really, uh, I've been really drawn to this, this grammatical approach to visualization. <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really, really opens new worlds, especially with the, um, the interactive piece of it. And so it's been, um, it's been quite fun and, you know, Altair is progressing and the, and the real benefit here is that we, in the Python world, we get to benefit from everything that, um, Ham and Dom and collaborators mm -hmm. are doing. Um, in Vega Lite, you know, every time there's a new Vega Lite release, we can uh, update our Altair, our Altair code. And, and the nice thing about Altair is it's um, the bulk of it is automatically generated from the schema file, so we can you know run our code generation scripts and we get a new version of Altair every time uh, Vega Lite comes up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this is great about these, like working with standards and having these clear ideas how everything is structured that you can now in parallel, like, <laughs> you know, uh, like work from both ends. And also if, let's say, you now specify a Vega Light chart, maybe mm -hmm. in two years there's a new cool renderer that could take the same specification <laughs> but draw it in a more effective way, a more beautiful way. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We're, we're really excited about that component of portability. And so, mm -hmm. for example, we have this summer, we have a Google Summer of Code student who's going to be working on um, creating a matplotlib renderer for Vega Lite specifications. Right. So then Altair or, or anything that, that uh, outputs Vega Lite would be able to render that in matplotlib, which... Mm -hmm. um, You know, for for a lot of researchers, Matplotlib is sort of this uh, this core tool that can that can create any sort of plot that you want. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's nice to have that bridge. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to me personally, what's very exciting is that it's uh, being integrated into Jupyter Lab, and Jupyter um, is an interesting, like generally interesting toolkit for exploratory data analysis. I would say maybe even like explorable explanations, you know, these long websites where you could try out um, interactive simulations and explain really complex topics through a stepwise combination of code and text and visuals, like, you know, this format that we all love, <laughs> I think. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really interesting developments. There's JupyterLab, there's CoLab from Google, which uh, has an interesting approach as well to collaborative coding. There's a new observable um, toolkit uh, or a platform from Mike Bostock and his team, which we will surely also talk about in Data Stories. <laughs> and I think these are all exciting, really new ways to actually deal with data and to communicate um, with data. Jake, what's your take on this? Like, do you see Altair sort of, yeah, you can use it in Python, in let's say traditional Python, or do you see it as like mostly being used in interactive notebooks? Where, where is this all headed? Yeah, so mostly it's uh, right now used in interactive notebooks, and that's mainly mm -hmm. because with the, mm -hmm. the Vega Lite JS renderer, you need a JavaScript engine attached to your Python engine. And I, I fa haven't found a great solution to ah, that's uh, true. Yeah, to okay. running JavaScript yeah. and Python together. Um, aside from the notebook, there's there's also some things in uh, like Atom is a text editor that's sort of based in the whole JavaScript world, and so there's right. a, this hydrogen plugin that lets you use that, mm -hmm. but um, You know, I've gotten a few emails from more traditional Python coders who are saying pretty mad that they can't use Altair and PyCharm <laughs> or something. And I'm like, well, figure out how to run JavaScript and PyCharm and then yeah. maybe we'll talk. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, but that I, is interesting that everything runs in the browser now. And as you say, Atom is written, it's like in, in JavaScript, it's a text editor used, made for coding written in JavaScript. So it's, um, it's mm -hmm. a very interesting development, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say, so I can use it most easily, I guess, in JupyterLab, right? So um, if I want to play with Altair, or what's, what's yeah, the best so way right to get now, started? JupyterLab is probably the easiest way, but we also support Jupyter Notebook and CoLab, mm -hmm. and I know someone's gotten it working in SageMaker, someone just got it working in Kaggle Kernels. Um, so there, there are all these notebook environments out there, and it, um, we're, we're working on supporting as many of them as we can. Because yeah. that's the, the real, you know, the, the Python side, we can produce validated JSON strings. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, you need some way to render it. You need that, that engine that, that runs the code that Dom and Ham are working on. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Vega Lake works pretty well on both Jira Lab and Observable too. For Observable, because it's a JavaScript environment, you can just directly use Vega Lake. And also for Jupyter Lab, if you have like, if you save your visualization file in .vl.json, like .vl.json, which is basically Vega Lake file, you can actually double click that in Jupyter Lab and open it, uh, and it, it ships with the Vega and Vega Lake to render the visualization too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for the end user, so what I'm thinking about, so I'm a yeah practitioner, so I like to explore data, mm-hmm. play with data, make new charts and so on. So, and traditionally you would say there's either you take tools like Tableau, for instance, like more mm-hmm. GUI based tools um, or Excel, where you have typically predefined chart types. Tableau is a bit even on the grammar of graphics train, I would say. Um, But there's also limits in terms of what's possible, right? So it's not a totally free environment. Or you would say, yeah, if you want to do whatever you want, you can use D3, for instance, (laughs) to render your own stuff. Like, how, how, where would you locate your approach with Vega Light and Altair in that ecosystem or in that maybe two extreme poles? I think one of the beautiful things about... Vega Lite and this whole Vega stack is that these are all tools that are building on each other. So Altair generates Vega Lite. Vega Lite then is a compiler that compiles to Vega. And Vega itself is also a declarative uh, language, which is at a lower abstraction level than Vega Lite. So the specifications are usually an order of magnitude longer. But also, Vega is quite expressive. Uh, you can probably make all the charts that you uh, that you would want to create in there. Um, and so one option, if Vega Lite doesn't offer what you want, um, is to generate the Vega and then modify the Vega by hand to adjust it to uh, exactly the uh, positions of the axes and scales that you want. Mm-hmm. So you could use a simple tool to quickly create like the basic Vega you want, but then do the last tweaks um, by hand, for instance? Yeah. And Vega Lite itself was also built as a language to be generated by UI tools. Uh, Ham, for instance, uh, when when we were working on the Voyager tool, uh, which was a research project here at, at UW, um, we built Vega Lite because we, wa- we needed a language to sort of reason about visualization and to quickly generate lots of visualizations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I yeah, can imagine you- that there are other UI tools uh, in the future that generate Vega Lite. Um, yeah, and it not it not even in the future because if you go to Voyager to today, it's it's pretty much like you can create view by drag and drop similar to what you can do in in the the core UI of Tableau, uh, and that's not surprising because in fact that's a collaboration between us at UDAP and Tableau in terms of in terms of doing research. But what we do different in in Voyager is besides like creating what people drag and drop, we try to augment it with recommendation, and that's possible because Vega is basically a JSON format and basically that's a JavaScript object, right? Mm-hmm. You can write other program to make recommendation by generating this JavaScript object and then render them using Vega and Vega Lite. And this JSON is really compatible with any programming language under the sun, which I think yeah. helped yeah. its integration into so many tools. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, so for example, uh, Altair has been uh, ported to R via the reticulate <laughs> So now you can, you can write R code that generates Python code that generates Vega Light. Generates, it's know. all connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's toolkit inception. <laughs> yeah, if you think about all the internals that are also within these tools, Vega Light itself has an internal representation that it compiles yeah. before generating Vega. Vega has internal representations before it then uses different renderers. So we currently have a canvas and an SVG renderer. Uh, so for vector graphics and pixel graphics, there's an experimental WebGL renderer. Um, maybe after the summer, there will be a matplotlib renderer. Um, and so I can imagine having, having all these declarative languages at all these different levels um, allows you to also swap out what tool or, or library, what implementation uh, you actually want to use, mm -hmm. and so every part of this whole stack is is exchangeable, which I think is, um, as as Enrico said earlier, it's a it's a beauty of having standards, mm -hmm. and yeah. also open source, of course, and so it's uh, transparent, right? Yeah, everything we do is all under OpenBSD license. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think another interesting idea connected to what just Ham said is the fact that with such a neat. Um, declarative um, language, now you can also afford having computational methods to explore solutions for visualization, right? And it, it's interesting because I think there used to be a lot of interest in doing that in the in the early 90s. Then it, we kind of like lost an interest in having computation support the generation of effective graphics, right? And um, yeah, maybe there is more to explore there. <laughs> and it looks to me that, that Vega Light and, and all the ecosystem seems to also support this kind of uh, research endeavor. It's, it's really interesting. I would love to see more people doing that. <laughs> Oh yeah, de definitely. Like my own thesis is like doing that, and like Dom is doing uh, more on that, and also other people at the lab. And yeah. I think there are also people in other lab that try to do like cons uh, conversation interface that kind of generate Vega light, yeah, as well. So that's yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and even even for, for creativity purposes, right? You can imagine a situation where you want to just be inspired to create some some kind of chart that nobody has seen before, right? So <laughs> I, I don't know if it makes sense, but I think that there there is I really like this intersection of computation just bring and creativity. Into the game yeah, well, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> it's like <laughs> but, but that's a good question. Maybe it's anyway, bullshit. So I don't know, but I think it's it's worth exploring. So there's a lot of examples on the websites, but my feeling was it's like very focused on statistical graphics yeah. and like the, the scatter plots and the line charts yeah, and so on. Yeah. So and I personally, I, of course, I like to invent new stuff or do like interesting, <laughs> you know, lines and sand keys and connected scatter plots and all the fancy charts. So how how easy would it be to all to do like more custom, let's say, chart types in, in this type of environment or more custom like renderings? Um, is is that like part of the plan, or is that is there more of an obstacle there in terms of I would have to understand the whole ecosystem and the whole framework to to actually extend the the chart type uh, types that are possible? Yeah, so I think we can look at this as different level. One level is like given the primitive that we have, we can already combine new examples. Like actually, we there are some example on our website that are comedy example because we didn't create them, but they basically use the primitive that we have in order to create 
new chart type that we didn't create ourselves. But then at the another level, it's like there are some primitive that uh, we haven't added to Vega Live because we haven't got time. Then adding that is feasible. For example, like uh, now we actually have map, and that's actually done by undergrad students who work with us and and like help us mm-hmm. augment Vega Live with. Uh, projection and then like geo shape so that we could, can draw map. Uh, so so yes, uh, we can add more primitive too. Uh, but that would be a little harder than like just contributing example because one part of the grammar is like we are designing a language and if you add new primitive to the language, it will interact with other part of the language. So you need to be a bit careful about like how things gonna interact with other part. But once mm-hmm. you add the power, is combinatorial because you can combine it. With other building blocks in the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and uh, yeah, I have another. I, I am curious about how do you guys coordinate this this whole thing? It looks massive, and I, I'm amazed <laughs> that uh, <laughs> the that yeah. How how can you coordinate all this work and and make so much progress? It's really fascinating to see what has been happening during the last few years in in this space. Yeah. So um, for Vega and Vega Light. We have four lead authors, which are Ham, me, Arvind, um, who now graduated and will be joining MIT as an assistant professor, and Jeff, our advisor. And the four of us have been working on this core Vega Vega Lite, the language and the, the implementation of the compilers and so on behind these tools. But then there's, because all these tools are open source, um, and we encourage people to help us, we've had a lot of the under a lot of undergraduates help us here at UW, um, but also people at the Wikimedia Foundation and and other people from uh, just the open source community, contributing different different aspects. Um, let it be examples or documentation or uh, code changes, libraries that supported uh, extensions, plugins into other programming languages or tools. Yeah, and we we hope that this. To, to answer your question about how do we how do we manage this how do we um, how do we fit that into our time our hope is that as this system grow as this ecosystem grows we add more people and um, yeah and extend the community of people who are directly contributing to these tools mm-hmm. yeah for example I think we know that a lot of company already like use uh, Vega Vega Light in in their tools or products. So like, uh, for example, I'm going to graduate and join, uh, my, like, and, and I will hope to continue using Wegalai and contribute back to the, to the community. And I guess the other part that you might be curious, like, how do we organize issue? I guess we can say that like for, for both like Vega, Wegalai and also Altair, we pretty much live on GitHub and we raise issue and discuss a lot there. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, yeah, that's another aspect. I think that the involvement with the community is crucial for these kind of projects. I always admire people who have the, <laughs> yeah, that manage to to be so involved with the community and really follow. I think this is partly one of the reasons why D3 has been so popular, right? I think Mike has been amazing at just uh, being very, very engaged with the community. It seems to be one of the ingredients that is needed to make this kind of mm. project successful, right? And there's so much work going into examples and documentation yes. and yes. discussions. And so, yeah, we, we really appreciate all the efforts there. <laughs> yeah. But now, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing to see them now pay off and, and, you know, coming together in such a beautiful way. And, um, 
Yeah, I think we I think were the big incredibly lucky. Often, like to make space in academia for this type of thing that is not immediately yeah. leads to a paper, but will lead to five papers later. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. these delayed gratifications are difficult also to to fit in. Yeah. I think we've been incredibly lucky. So um, by we, I mean Ham, Arvin, and me. That uh, Jeff allows us to or encourages us to really build tools that people can use and spend time on uh, improving them and work on the open source aspects of them and also writing papers, but that's not the that's not the only output of our research. Um, and that worked really well with uh, previous tools that Jeff has also worked on, like D3 and Protovis and so on. Um, and yeah, I think we're just in a very lucky position that all these, a lot of lucky uh, coincidences came together that Vega Lite and the whole Vega ecosystem is where it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited how all this plays out. I, I became a big fan of like Jupyter Notebooks and <laughs> this whole ecosystem over this year. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with it, definitely check it out. It's very exciting. Oh, yeah. Like once it's you so get the fun. hang of this interactive <laughs> programming paradigm, uh, it's it's you get sort of addicted and everything else feels <laughs> a bit uh, wrong. And so <laughs> I'm really excited to see where all this is headed. If you want to get just a brief impression how these things work there's a nice demo of exploring seattle weather i know it's a sad topic <laughs> but um, <laughs> but there's a few good charts around this sad data set um, both on the altair side and on the vega documentation side so you can get a sense like how these charts are structured there and what you can learn about rainfall mostly um, <laughs> and i think these are a really good start just to see in principle, what's possible and how things are structured. And then if you get excited about it, I think the documentation is great. Uh, kudos to the uh, yeah. also Altair documentation. It, it was great. very easy yeah. to get started. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah thanks. So, we, you know, Altair's side, we've had a lot of community contributions too. And that's been awesome. Great. To see great. Yeah. People I've never met in real life come along and uh, add examples and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But that might be another sign that you're up to something great. So, yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. <laughs> The excitement is there. <laughs> you can feel it. Let's keep it up. Everyone. So great work. Excellent. So let's hope a few of our listeners uh, check it out. Send us some examples if you make interesting uh, Altair <laughs> or Vega uh, Light charts. <laughs> that would be fun. And yeah, if you have any questions, ping us or the our guests on Twitter. And thanks so much for joining us, guys. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we do another episode in two years and see how things have developed. Yeah, exactly. With yeah. Like 3D renderers and VR and everything. <laughs> you're, you're joking, but last week at OpenVisCon, <laughs> somebody happening. actually showed that. <laughs> it's course. true. It's true. So I should not joke about these things. They just become true. <laughs> do you want to talk yeah. about something else? Reality yeah. is going faster than imagination, Moritz. It's true, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. 
And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for, to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.